is a guy who was a first counselor in the bishopric, and he was saying, you and her, the way you do it is is so better. And I said, well, my wife wanted us to clear up the language. She said, no, you're human. It's, it is so good for me and for everybody I see, everybody I know. It's so wonderful. And uh, Yeah, I know a few people want us to clean up the language, which I have. I mean, so a little bit. Yeah. Lot, yeah. yeah. Um, and hi, welcome to the Full Cup, everyone. We're here, my dad and I just talking my dad was just saying how he wishes he could see all the people because he has a lot of people who are wanting to get in to see him and he go ahead and tell me what you were saying you're not seeing as many people anymore yeah but you're great but you get to do this so it's a great way to help yeah and i i i i know people who are hurting and i just want to uh Tell them what all of my patients have taught me, because I've learned this from the people that have changed their lives, and I want to tell everybody about it. So I guess if they can listen to this, it's helpful. But uh, there's there's uh, so many people who struggle, and so many people who want to get in. And I wish I just had more time to see them. Yeah, it sounds. But it's I got the greatest job in the world. I have people come in every day and oh. go through horrible pain, and what do they do? They always turn all their pain to wisdom, and then they teach me about the wisdom they learned from all the stuff, and then write me a check. Yeah. <laughs> Who has a better job than that? Well, I know a lot of people have to hear some hard things to hear, and no matter how much money they get paid, they uh, don't want to hear it anymore. You know, it can be very hard for some people to have a job like that. Um, okay, so... Yeah, thanks for being here today. Thanks for tuning back in. I know we're not recording as much as people are requesting, but we are doing it when we can. So today we are talking about a little similar to what we talked about last time, which was um, getting free from people and then being able to love them. And today we're talking about judgment. Am I correct on that? Judgment. Okay. And I don't know what we're talking about, okay. so you go ahead. That's all I <laughs> well, know. Well, I was just, uh, you, you asked me about this, and somebody had uh, written something and asked a question. And so this this was uh, a fellow that I saw probably 25 years ago. And I'll tell you about this and what happened and, and how I saw it change. What had happened, this fellow came into my office and he said, you know, I, I used to live in another state, and I was married. Um, I've always been a devout uh member of my faith. I'm, I believe in, in my Lord and my Father in heaven. It's very real to me. And uh, when I went on my mission, I came home and I got married and I had uh, three children and I loved them and I loved her. And then after about uh, 10 years, she said, I don't like you anymore, that I'm a pain to all of them. And they all said, we don't want dad around anymore. So she divorced me. And I was very adamant. He said that this, I don't think this was my fault. I've, I've been trying to be the religious saint that I am. I've prayed. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. Uh, my religion is vitally important to me, and I couldn't understand why my wife wanted me to divorce. So we ended up getting a divorce, and so I moved to another state. And in this state, uh, I was married, and I had four kids with her, and uh I've been married maybe 12, no, maybe even 15 years uh, to that woman. Uh, 
and now a new person. He yeah, remarried. A, okay, yes, a, sorry. a new wife. Uh, okay, here in a new state, and she now wants a divorce. Okay. and I'm questioning what am I doing wrong? And he came to see me, and said, "I, I, last time thought it was her fault. I didn't think I was doing anything wrong." But this second time with my second wife, I'm beginning to understand maybe I better look at myself and see maybe there is some issues in me that I need to work on so that my wife and I can maintain our relationship and, and keep together on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, he told me he had been devoutly religious and still was, and it was very important to him. But he said his wife now wanted a divorce and all of the children were in agreement. We didn't want dad coming to the house anymore. And I couldn't understand why. So I said to him, uh, well, you're, you're a religious guy. He says, very much. And I said, well, uh, maybe we need to crank up that relationship with JC. Jesus Christ, people. But I used the word JC, and he looked at me and was very upset and said to me, JC? And I said, yes, Jesus Christ. And he said, uh, well, Mr. Berthold, I don't think this is going to work for me. This is sacrilege to me, and that's very offensive that you would refer to him in that terminology. And he got up to leave my office. He said, I'm going to have to see somebody else, but I'm sorry I bothered oh, you today. okay, okay. <laughs> so as he got up to leave, uh, I, I said, well, can I take a minute and tell you a little bit about why I do this? And so he said, uh, well, what have you got to say? And while he was standing there, I said, uh, I have a devout faith in my Savior, Jesus Christ. And I actually bore my testimony to him, what I think of my Father in heaven, the Holy Ghost, and Jesus Christ. But I also told him something that I had learned to do when I was a child. As a child, I was really filled with a lot of anxiety, very nervous, and I was nervous around people. And a fun thing to do, uh, when I was in the sixth or seventh grade, we used to get on the bus and ride into the big city, Salt Lake City, and go shopping and go down mm-hmm. and get a sandwich at Cress's and, you know, maybe go into our backs and walk around like we're cool in junior high mm-hmm. or elementary school. And we went into the Hotel Utah, and we went in there. There was a man standing there in a white suit. His name was uh, David... Oh, McKay, he's a prophet in the Mormon church. And I was absolutely petrified. I was frozen. And my friend walked right up to him and shook his hand. And he tousled his hair and said, how you doing? And they talked for a minute. And I just stood there frozen, scared. And he came back and they said, why do you come up? He said, I, I don't know. I just, I just scared. So I was always afraid. So then I realized what his name was. It was David O. McKay, and I started calling him Davy, <laughs> because if I called him Davy, it seemed more real to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, years later, I would listen to Thomas Monson talk about, well, when I was a boy, they called me Tommy. So I call, started calling Tommy Monson Tommy, and it just made it easier for me, and I wasn't frightened anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I said to him, that's probably why. I refer to Jesus Christ sometimes as JC because he is my brother. And I believe that he's close enough to me that I can refer to him that way. Mm-hmm. I suspect some people think that's sacrilege. He thought it was very sacrilege. But after I explained it, he said, okay, 
uh, maybe we can stay. And he sat down. So I asked him, I said, well, tell me what's going on with your family. And he says, well, this just happened last week. He said, I went home, got home from work one evening. As I walked in the house, there's my wife sitting with all four of the kids in the kitchen. And as I drove into the driveway, I saw the lawnmower was still out in the middle of the lawn. My son hadn't finished the lawn. As I walked in, I saw the books and everything stacked there. My daughter hadn't done any of her homework. I knew my other child hadn't done her, her piano lesson. So I just said, get your butt out there and get the lawn cut. What are you coming here doing this? And I told my daughter, you have not done your homework. Get to that. And the other you know, said, get your room is not clean. I know you haven't done it. I get out of here and get it done. And I cleaned them all out. And literally within two minutes, they had all left the kitchen. And my wife just looked at me and said, nice job, blankety blank. Yeah. <laughs> and I was offended. I couldn't believe that my wife would use that language. So I got upset. I couldn't believe it. I'm just trying to be a good husband. But now they don't want me in the house anymore. My wife wants a divorce. She says that I, I'm too tight. I, I, I expect too much perfectionism. And I said, well, maybe what happened, and maybe this has happened before, this is the kind of the same thing that you did to me today. They said, well, what do you mean by that? I said, well, when you came in to see me, did you love me first or did you judge me first? And he kind of looked at me like, oh. And then he explained, well, I'm, I'm the father. And I want to raise my kids correctly. So I, you know, I get after them, get their stuff done. And you soon after tell them, well, I, I try to reassure them. Well, I, I'm just telling you that because I love you. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, okay. I said, I've done the same thing with my kids. <laughs> my children were young when this happened. And there's been times I've come home, as you know, Libby, that I'll come in. Have you got your room clean? <laughs> do we judge our kids first or do we love them first? Mm. So I told him. <laughs> yeah. You're going to say something. I no, I just, I mean, I completely relate <laughs> with this man. And so does my husband. That's the struggle of parenting. <laughs> <laughs> well. Teaching him to do something and get it done. But, okay, go on. I told the guy, here, here's my phone number. I'll tell you what. Why don't this week when we go home, when we walk in, the first thing we do, we go to each one of our children, including our wives, and say to them, give them a hug and say, I love you, Lula. I love you, Libby. <laughs> Sorry, I'm thinking of my granddaughter right now. But I love you, Libby. I love Rachel. I love Sarah. I love Lincoln. I love my wife. And then I said, if we just spend a few minutes loving them, next Thursday, I said, you call me. Call me at 10 o'clock that night, and we'll just judge the heck out of them, okay? I'll tell you how what the kid might have been a little twit, and I'll tell you all that. But right now, what would happen if we loved them first? He laughed. He said, well, I'll give it a try. I only saw him a couple of more times. He decided what he's going to do from now on is love people first. Now, as parents, we still have to do judgments once in a while. But what happens if we're loved first? Um, as you know, I was quite a beer drinker. And I would quit drinking for my wife. And I felt guilty. I never quit drinking until I found out that my God said to me, whether you're drinking or not, Craig, I still love you. Mm -hmm. And that's when my life changed. 
there's a number of stories I'd like to tell you about this. This is a lady that I saw when she was about 38 years of age. She came to see me, uh, suffering with some pretty heavy-duty depression. Her whole life had wanted to be married, was very disappointed in herself, felt like she weighed too much, felt like she was too big. All the time growing up, her dad would say to her, you need to do your mathematics. You need to do your schoolwork more. My mom would always say to me, you can't wear those clothes. You're not big enough for those clothes. They would actually send me to little places where they would say, we're going to send to this place to lose weight. And uh, all my life, my mom and dad, because of my size and my weight, didn't work. So I saw her for about a year or two, and then she showed up in my office about 20 years later. And she said, I'm, I'm, I'm still not married. And I asked her again, do your mom and dad, uh, are they loving you? And she said, well, my mom will say, you shouldn't wear this. You shouldn't wear this. You ought to wear something like this and you need to wear this. And she'll come take me out and drive, buy me something and then say to me, Sweetie, I'm just telling you that because I love you. Mm-hmm. So what she got first was the criticism and then the love. And I said, now, wait, I saw you 20 years ago, and I'm, I'm going to look at your chart here. And I went back all the way when I took her history. Whenever I see people in my office, I take their history of elementary school, junior mm-hmm. high, high school. And she recounted me this story <clears throat> In the third grade, she had Mrs. Smith, who was her teacher. And she felt horrible in the class all the time, especially when the class started, because in the first and second grade, she couldn't do her math. And her dad would say, you got to do your math. They even hired somebody, a tutor, to help me help me learn my math. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't do it. And I sometimes I'd try to hide it in first, and she wouldn't see it, or I'd try to end it then. So finally, I would just try to do it the best I can, and then I would take it up. And Mrs. Smith would take my math and look at me, open her desk drawer, put it in her desk drawer, close the drawer, and say, Sally, sit down. I want to talk to you. And she would sit me down and tell me how much she liked my hair and told me how much she appreciated the dress I was wearing. She told me how she loved my personality always had a comment to tell me. And she says, I'll get to your math, but I just want you to know how special you are. She's 55 now and still visits her 92-year-old Mrs. Smith oh. and loves that teacher as if she's been the greatest experience in her life. Now, this isn't just for us as parents <clears throat> or the people we work with. What I'm saying to you, Libby, and to me When we look in the mirror, do we love ourselves first or do we judge ourselves first? Mm -hmm. I've just learned in my own life when I know that I'm loved and even when I'm loving myself, my cup is so much more full. Mm -hmm. If I love myself, is that okay to love myself, Libby? Yeah, it's you're supposed to. Even when we're loving ourselves, there's amazing things we can accomplish when we know that we're loved. 
But how many of us faced that and grew up and did that to ourselves or to our children, where we judged people first instead of loving them first? Mm -hmm. That's all I'm saying in this. This is a little story about how important I think it is to love people first. Yeah. Judge them next Thursday. Give me a call. We'll judge the heck out of them. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's great. I think that's very uh, prevalent in today's world. Well, I think in just throughout history, people use, well, even like if somebody wants to lose weight themselves, if you put yourself down enough, then maybe that'll motivate you to make some changes or, you know, instead of the other way around. So let's talk about that for a moment, because years ago, I used to do weight groups. You maybe yeah. remember that. Uh-huh. And they would come in and say, if I hate myself long enough, I'll finally motivate myself by hating myself that I'll lose the weight. And I said, well, oh, okay, if that works. But what would happen if you started with, I really do love me? When the cup is empty, how important when I'm empty to have something coming into my cup, love or food or nurturance. But if my cup is full and I'm truly loving myself, I know my Savior loves me. I love me. I love other people. Yeah. What does that do for us? Yeah, you feel more full. You don't need to fill the void. And all of a sudden, maybe we don't need those other things we need so much to Mm -hmm. fill the void. Yeah. Now, uh, I'm going to shift gears. Is that okay? Yeah. Were we going to talk about the person's comment? Or? Yes. yes. Okay. Somebody, somebody, I guess, sent a comment that asked the question, uh, if you're kind to somebody and they continue to hurt you, why do you go back still trying to love them? Why don't you just say goodbye? I'm done with you. Uh And that's what most of us do. Uh I'll ask you, Libby, have you ever cared for somebody, loved them, adored them, and cherished them, and there was no reciprocation coming back to you? Uh They treated you poorly? Uh How do you feel about loving them again? Oh, it's like the bane of my existence. I have probably like two people like this in my life that – I mean, I haven't even spoken to them in years, but it still just irks me. I can't handle it. I just like want to not see them ever again because it brings up so much pain because I feel like I didn't even do anything wrong to you. Why do you hate me? What is your deal? And I want to fix it, but I don't want to fix it because you're, they're an a-hole. So yeah, it's very, doesn't feel good at all, but Yeah, you want to fix that for me? (laughs) Well, I'm not going to fix it, but I am going to tell you a couple of things. What that has to do with uh, reciprocation, and reciprocation is natural. This is what we learn in in junior high. It's called clinical emotional dependency Mm -hmm. versus clinical emotional independence, Mm -hmm. I'm going to think for myself. So when you like your friend, you want them to like you back. Yeah. And if they don't like you back, that can really be painful. But I like them. I'm going out of my way to like them. I'm being nice to them. I'm doing all these things for them. And they're not being nice to me. Well, to heck with them. I'm just not going to play with them anymore. Mm-hmm. This is something I did when I was young. Uh, I would truly love my mother. And I so much wanted reciprocation. 
what I will say to this woman in response to this, why we go back and loving. There's so much to this. If I can continue to love that person who never reciprocated, who hurt me deeply, but I continue to love and no longer be dependent on the reciprocation from him or her or whatever, why should I keep loving them? What does the research tell us when we're loving people? Well, this is from Jesus Christ, but what does the neuroplasticity tell us now? Google the health benefits of loving. Yeah. What becomes difficult is when you love and attach with it, okay, I'm loving, so I hope I get reciprocation. Mm -hmm. That's when you get in trouble. This is the part I want to shout from the rooftops. This is part of my testimony. I'm not going to spend an hour on it, just a minute. Okay, good. <laughs> when you love somebody and there's not the reciprocation, even if they're mean to you and you keep loving them, not to punish them, not to hurt them, but it's good for me. It may end up being good for them, but when we're loving somebody, what happens to us neurologically? It creates neural pathways of love in several areas. First, I'll say when you're loving others, no matter what, you can look in the mirror and love yourself no matter what. But for me, the greatest part of my testimony is this. I, I guarantee that when you continue to love, get past all of the mean things that they've done, agency has to be in place. If you try to love somebody without agency first, remember we talked about independence of thought mm -hmm. or agency has to be in place. I'm not going to be hurt by this, but I'm going to continue loving. Who else still loves that person no matter what they've done, no matter how horrible they've been? Who still loves God? Them? And this is my guarantee. When I kept loving her or him, my reciprocation maybe didn't come right away, but I promise you somewhere from over here or back there, it comes flying over the top of the sky and blasts into your cup and your cup goes and your cup is filled because you'll understand the reciprocation will come absolutely from him because he loves those children of his. And when you love them, I promise you, it will come back. It may not come back for a year. It may not come back for 10 years. It may come back not just to you, but to reciprocation to one of your children or someone else that you love. And the joy that you feel when you feel those wires hooked up with your children, your parents and family. I promise her who made the request, please get free from the people and keep loving them. Because in loving them, it it's, it's a promise the cup filling will come someplace. I believe it comes from God, but it will come. It may not come for a year, maybe five years, maybe five minutes, but it will come back. And that's mm -hmm. my response to her. Yeah, I <laughs> agree. Well, and I just think the, the alternative of being bitter or cutting someone out or putting up a wall can kind of feel like, I'm good. Like, I don't need you. I, but I think it just gives you some negative. What are those vibes called? Neuropeptides. 
negative neuropeptides, which cause all sorts of problems, health problems, <laughs> mental problems. I mean, I just think, yeah, you just want the positive energy and light in your body, which feels a lot better on top of it. But all of those things you said are very awesome. Yeah. I, I had a fellow today ask me, how can I learn to love this individual that I've resented for so many years? And I said, well, a lot of people think if you love somebody, you got to go shovel their walk. You got to take him to lunch. You got to call no. him and tell him you love him. I had him do this just today. I said, I'd like you to just sit here for a moment and see if you can picture that person. And imagine in your mind right now that you're going to, you're going to be free from him. You're not going to let him hurt you anymore. That's in place. The greatest gift is agency. That needs to be in place first. Agency. I'm not going to let this hurt me anymore. I know my God loves me. And the great second greatest DT is love God, neighbor, and self. So I'm just going to love this person. I said, I want you to sit here and pretend that you're going to love that person. So he closed his eyes and he sat there. And I said, now, can you imagine just loving that person? Maybe giving him a hug. Just loving him. And she started to tear up. And he said, this is hard. I said, Let's see how you can do it. And he did. I said, how do you feel? Well, I feel a lot lighter. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I tried to say. Now, eventually you might get so free from him. Maybe one day you'll be able to respond to him. Yeah. But you got to be free. That's the greatest gift we have been given next to eternal life is our free agency. And when you say be free, you mean not let their crazy purple whatever mess with you. You're going to choose to not let that affect you or your mood or your. <clears throat> and if you're that free, you can love them profoundly, which is good for you and possibly for good for them. But loving them does that. And, and, and that's the key to, to all of this work. Okay. Thank you so much, dad. We love hearing your stories and Thank your you. wise wisdom and all that good stuff. Uh, thanks guys. We, you know, we plan on recording next week, but, uh, it might be a month or so. <laughs> Hopefully it'll be out next week. Our next topic is on, what did we talk about? Faith, Faith. creating neural the power, the greatest. So we've talked about the greatest gift, the greatest commandment. And now we're going to talk about the greatest power, right? Wait, is that what you called it? Yeah. Is, is the sun powerful? Yeah. Is is uh, atomic weaponry powerful? Yeah. Is uh, is medicine powerful? Yeah. Wait, wait. Russie, R Russell Nelson says the greatest power that mankind has is faith. What? Faith? No, you got the sun. You got atomic weaponry. You got the greatest power to the human being. This faith, and we're going to talk about Ooh. how we create neural pathways using that that literally can change the world. That that was a really good cliffhanger for next time. <laughs> okay, thanks everyone for listening. Have a great uh, week, summer month. See you later. Bye. <laughs>